Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 this is the pro america report on the answer san diego welcome 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 ed martin here on the pro america report great to be together and uh, a lot a lot happening i always find it tough over these weekends uh, there's so much happening over the weekend i gotta tell you a quick story first of all i was away uh for a few days uh, with my son. I was supposed to go with both my sons. We were going backpacking up in the West Virginia mountains. Uh, it turns out my one son, younger son, had some stitches on his leg on uh, last Tuesday or Wednesday, so he couldn't go. So just my two, my just my son, my older son, Edward, and myself, two nights, three days, it rained, but it was really fun. It was a nice uh, backpacking trip with the Boy Scouts, and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't do a lot of that when I was a kid. I did not do a lot of uh, camping or anything like that. So I'm learning a lot. I'm learning almost as much as my son, I'd say. So uh, really fun, and uh, I appreciated uh, the chance to be just along with him, too, one-on-one. It was pretty cool. So, all right, uh, we have two great guests today. I'm really excited uh, <clears throat> Excuse me about both of these guests because they both come at the problems of this country in a way that to me is very pro-America. You know, I call this the Pro-America Report. The uh, If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can get the daily wink, what you need to know. But I call it the Pro-America Report because there's certain values, certain ideals that are represented by being pro-America, right? Pro-Constitution, I think that's key. I think, you know, for me, pro-America is pro-life, uh, pro-God, <laughs> pro-America first. Um, you know, these are the kinds of things. But also there's a spirit of Americans when they do things they figure them out. They make them work. And so these two guests today, one is Josh Malone, who is the inventor of Bunch of Balloons. If you know Bunch of Balloons, it is the invention where you can put the hose onto a, a contraption and it fills up, I don't know, eight or 10 or 15 balloons in like two seconds. And then it's they self-seal and you have a water balloon fight in like minutes. Anyway, he invented that. He was an inventor. He had patents from his time working with a big tech company, uh, not big tech, but a technology company, maybe Texas Instruments or something like that. He got a couple patents for working for them, then went out on his own has a few more patents including a bunch of balloons but he got squeezed by the massive businesses that steal patents from people and take away their invention and then and so he stood up and fought in court ultimately won but also He's now, even though he won and he's got lots of money, I suspect, he's got a bunch of kids too. I think he has seven children. He's a wonderful guy. His wife is, is an extraordinary lady and, and they have a nice life. But he's fighting now to make sure our patent system, which set it up so that you could get what you create, you could get value out of it. By the way, not forever and not exclusively. I mean, you can get the exclusive benefit, but the reason I have a patent system is so that it's published so the world can see how to make the next step for progress. Anyway, it's a great system, the patent system, and he, Josh Malone, is fighting for it. We're going to talk to him about that. And the next guest we have today is really interesting. I, I think I've told you, I've had a number of guests on the show about family, with uh, people from families who've had trouble with child protective services and the sort of bullying of the state. And Michael Volpe is a guy who is now an, I'd call him an investigative reporter. I guess he's an investigative um, journalist of some kind. Uh, He's published a series of essays, a book on this problem. It touches so many people. 
the sort of bullying role of local government and, and, and family courts and all. And so we'll talk to Michael Volpe about this. And he has a website that he maintains, has a lot of information on this. And he's been in touch with me. And I've got to say, one of the powerful things about our uh, excuse me, current environment, I have to say, um, the, uh, it, is, it is a crazy world. Um, it, is, it, is, it is an amazing um, uh, world with fake news. But it is... Um, it's really easy for us to communicate too, right? And my, my show, my radio show, which I hope you listen to live, if you're not, you probably listen on a podcast or a standalone link, we can circulate that. And what's happened for me is I've been networked to some really wonderful people <clears throat> like Michael Volpe who are concerned about the direction of things in our country, how things are working, why they're not working better. And uh, it's been very gratifying to get to connect with people and see what they're up to. So I'm really excited about having him on the show. I, you know, sometimes, by the way, these amateurs, these are not professional politicians, not professional public affairs people. They're uh, a little bit more raw, but they're more real. They're real. They're real. You hear it. Uh, it's actually who they are. It's very good. So I'm excited about that. So we'll look forward to that. All right. Uh, but what do you need to know today? What you need to know today is we're just now three weeks, just about three weeks from Election Day. And I think you're going to see a few more twists and turns. But I want to prot- I want to tell you something no one else is telling you. I spent the weekend thinking about this and looking at it. And I'm going to tell you something We have a war to fight between now and Election Day and probably for a week or two after. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm predicting this will be a landslide for Donald Trump. All of the fundamentals that people should look at in a campaign are in Donald Trump's favor. And I don't mean the polls that say pick which candidate. I mean the surveys that say, what do you think about the draw? Are you better off four years ago than you are today? I don't mean the analysis of Trump's tweets. I mean how people relate to the country and what's going on. And more people, again, I just will tell it to you like this. I don't know many people, a handful, maybe, who voted for Trump four years ago and will now vote against him. I just don't know many of those people that they're 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 fed up. If you are fed up with the swamp, you're still fed up with the swamp. And you may find some of what Trump's done good, some bad. But in general, it's the right direction. I don't think that um, I don't think that the 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 groups that the media is saying are scared off that they're not going to vote for Trump. I actually think they're going to go more than they realize. I think that families that are worried about safety and law and order, the so-called suburban moms or soccer moms, I think they're going to go for Trump because he's the guy the guy on the side of law and order. You may not even like his approach to it, but you know you can't let the cities burn. African Americans, Hispanic Americans, gay men and women. Gay men and women have have more to look up and see respect in the world, not taken for for granted as a hyphenated a, a Democrat. If you're a hyphenated Democrat, you got to get in line behind the the you know the black woman that gets to be VP. And and actually, the, the next one is that he's going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. I think he said that too, didn't he? I mean, he, I, I think what he said was he was going to put a woman on his VP ticket. Biden said, but a black woman on the court. So most of the country that's a hyphenated Democrat isn't one of those. And so if you're a black man and really smart, no chance for the Supreme Court. If you're a black guy, if you're a, a gay man and really interested, well, you're behind a whole bunch of other people. My point here is that I don't I, I see the fundamentals of this race. And then you come down to a kind of popularity contest. And although there are some who find Trump so uh, bullying that they can't stand it, most people know the type. And, and, and the same way that Joe Biden plays a type, he's that sort of affable old, you know, kind of not too smart, but not a bad guy uncle, old Uncle Joe. The problem for Uncle Joe is he picked Kamala Harris, who's not likable, and Uncle Joe is fading fast. So I, he watching Trump, I've told you before, watch for the next three weeks, literally, 
<clears throat> well, a little bit less than three weeks, but three, just about three weeks. It'll be Donald Trump and two running mates. The now solidly uh, recognized as a decent guy, calm, collected, bright, Mike Pence. And the other one who's to, you know just getting the Klieg lights tonight, today, if you saw it today, she was extraordinary, composed, articulate, unbelievably smart, incredible family, Amy Coney Barrett. And when the country's looking up, yes, it's true, 35 to 40 percent of the country is in TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. But more than 50 percent of this country, especially in the states that he has to win, forget about California, all of California will probably vote. You know, it'll probably be 70, 30 by percentages and it'll be a huge number of of, a popular vote that'll swing the pot. I don't think Donald Trump will win the popular vote, even as he has a landslide at the Electoral College. But when you watch this and and these coming three weeks, try to push past what they're telling you. They're telling you that these polls are trying to tell you, give up. Trump can't win because people like to go with the winner, by the way. Give up. Trump can't win. Go to the winning side. Trying to drive you that way. Turn it off. Turn it down. Turn around and get focused because Something spectacular is happening. So hang on in there. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in just a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I uh, We've talked a number of times and uh, I, about the power of American invention and how extraordinary that is. I, I know I tell the listeners, I record my daily radio commentary, which runs on over 400 stations. I record them the month before. So I just recorded, I think yesterday, um, 20... One nineteen or twenty or twenty-one. I can't remember what November's is. How many days? The weekdays there are to recover them. I, I record them now ahead of time, and I try to predict issues that are important. But I almost always find a radio commentary uh, top uh, uh, to use to talk about the topic of inventions and uh, the importance of patents and the importance of our American patent system. Well, our next guest is a friend of the show and a friend of mine. Uh, Josh Malone has um, himself been an inventor successfully, has a number of patents, but he's now over at U.S. Inventor, and he is a, has a specific role there as a fellow to try to talk to the uh, politicians and bureaucrats about the importance of what uh, is happening in terms of patents and what needs to happen. So first of all, well, welcome, Josh, to the program. How are you today? Hey, Ed. I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Now, I want to ask you, though, about this in general. People may not realize Josh Malone, famous inventor, very successful. And you moved up towards the swamp. I think you live at technically outside the swamp in order to contribute to the conversation and protect patents. So my first threshold question is, um, do you think, I mean, is the climate getting worse or better? And do uh, the bureaucrats and politicians understand what's at stake? Yeah, it's been definitely a learning experience for me. And I don't think I was totally naive that I thought I could change the system by coming here. Um, But it's definitely uh, deeper and thicker than I think maybe I appreciated. And even with, uh, you know, with with President Trump's efforts, I can I can sense his frustration at getting control of his own administration. And we, we, Mm -hmm. we have to work with a lot of different agencies and individuals that often are are pulling the opposite direction um so it's i don't know if it's getting better i don't have a frame of reference to to see but i know it's 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 definitely uh difficult uh for for 
for our government to function the way it's intended. So, uh, Josh Malone, what's the what's the biggest pressing issue now? I mean, we're 27 days or not even 20. Uh, let's see, 24 days before the election. And we're, you know, kind of hanging on um, by our, uh, you know, in terms of the the uh, every every day is another development in terms of politics. What's the policy development where, you know, where where are, where are you? Where are the where's the patent system? What do you think needs to happen? What should be going on? Walk us through some of that. Yeah, well, there's obviously a, always more pressing issues. Patents and innovation is more of a long-term thing where you feel the impact uh, decades down the road. But we're at, we're at the, the bottom of a trough, I hope, where these large corporations, Silicon Valley, big tech, um, you know, they have all sorts of other abuses uh, with, with privacy and, and, and shadow banning and content filtering. Well, they also uh, have, have had a lot of success of destroying the patent system to eliminate competition from startups. And so right. that issue is one that it, it's incredibly important. You look at our international competitiveness, you look at our the threat from China and, um, and, uh, and, and elsewhere. Um, you know, American ingenuity has, has always been our trump card, so to speak. And mm-hmm. uh, they've put a lot of us on the sidelines through, uh, you know, destroying the ability for us to, to protect our inventions and compete. So if you could wave your hand, what, what would the number one thing you'd change? If you could wave your hand and say, fix this now, what's the number one thing you see that needs to happen? Is, is, it, is it the threat of China? Is it the threat of big tech? Is it a specific implement? What, what would you say is your top, you know, fix this? Maybe it's not realistic right now, but it would be what you'd say is a priority. Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's one very straightforward thing that the Trump administration could and should do. And that is to rein in this patent trial and appeal board that's invalidated uh, patents. 84% of the patents, over 4,000 inventors have had their patents rights uh, just completely ripped away from them for the benefit of these big corporations. And so that's, that's stunted our ability to, to compete and to get investment and to bring out uh, new solutions and technologies for society. And there's a... Uh, there's a there's a there's a procedure and it's completely consistent with uh, President Trump's executive orders to re- regulate these agencies and um, that's being blocked right now. So what I've found is that the Google and the, the large corporate interests are still well entrenched here, and they've managed to basically stall out uh, the effort to drain the swamp at the at the patent office. And and but is it um, so? Is the Congress? Do the Congress get it? I mean, is there is there enough leadership in the Congress that uh, they or are they just rolled over now because the it's too confusing and big tech? I mean, where who's your champion? Let me say it that way. Who's the champion of this issue to protect American invention? Um, the, so the Congress is really is really hard. It's a grind, and there's so much noise and and competition and lobbyists and special interests. We have a movement and we're gaining some ground, but it's a long-term effort and it's, you know, mm-hmm. two steps forward, one step back. Um, the, the actual executive branch and, and president Trump could do a lot more and he's got people mm-hmm. in place to do it. And that, that comes down to basically how do you run the patent office? And if they would, uh, run it the way they did back when, uh, Trump's uncle, John Trump was an inventor, uh, we would be mm-hmm. well on our way to, to fixing this problem. I could go back to inventing again, and um, I, I think that 
the president should be our our biggest champion. And once this gets on his radar, I think he will be. Um, I just don't mm-hmm. think he's been able to get to it yet. It's um, well, and the the, uh, the danger is uh, that uh, his time, you know, he's got to win another term. What, what's your sense of the Biden? Uh, uh, has Biden commented ever on on patents? Is he in the Senate or afterwards? Has he got a position that's publicly known? Well, uh, Biden was the IP guy in the Obama administration that was courting um, support from big tech, especially Google. Google was visiting the White House three times a day. One of their achievements during that period was to capture the patent office, and they got the head of patents for Google appointed to run the patent office. And um, I'm not not very hopeful about uh, 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 Biden uh, and, and, and Harris being sensitive to small business and entrepreneurs. Um, uh, they they don't have a good record there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the big one. Is the uh, is Google had control of the patent office? I mean, uh, you just, that's all you need to say. I mean, forget about it. that's not a policy preference. That's a definition of the swamp, right? I mean, that's the real the reality. Okay, how about this, Josh Malone? You know, you've invented. How long have you been inventing things? How long have you been? How long have you been? When was your first patent, time wise? How many years ago? Uh, I was uh, probably twenty years ago. I was at Texas Instruments. I have several inventions um, for the big corporation, and then I went out on my own. Um, about 14 years ago, and okay. So for two decades, you've been inventing. You've been inventing. You've been inventing and patenting. What is it? How is the? Um, you know, how's it changed? Well, what, if you have to do it again now, do a patent, do something. How's it changed? What's the reality of the change in, in the in the climate? Oh, it's been completely flipped upside down in, the, in those 20 years. Um, you know, in 2006, the Supreme Court came out with a decision that said inventors should not get to decide who can use their inventions or how they're used. In 2011, Congress passed the American Invents Act. And in 2018, the Supreme Court said patents are not property rights, they're privileges from the government, um, uh, just like uh, the, the right to operate a toll bridge or operate a taxi. Um, and it's basically, a, hand, a, cor- it's basically a, a corporate handout under that ruling. And so it's gotten so, it's gotten virtually impossible to um, the Constitution says secure the rights to the inventor, uh, to their discoveries. And today, to secure your rights, you need uh, tens of millions of dollars and most of a decade to fight it out. And you've got to have influence in the government. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you, your, your listeners know my whole story, but uh, serendipitously, all those pieces came together to where you know we had a, uh, a you know a two or three hundred million dollar product. We were able to pay the attorneys $75,000 every week. And then when that wasn't working, I went to, uh, I went to uh, the patent office and burned my patents on C-SPAN and BBC. And then we had a change in management at the patent office and I started winning my case. Um, yeah. And so I should have won uh, all along, right? Uh, it, was, it was an obvious intellectual property theft, blatant theft. Um, but to, to bring, bring them to justice, uh, Unfortunately, it, it it doesn't depend on the merits. It depends on these these other these other factors. It's not, it's not a happy state of affairs for the American system of justice. Yeah, well, it's one we got to stay on top of. Uh, Josh Malone, and he's over at U.S. Inventor uh, as a fellow there, an inventor himself. Thanks, Josh, for the update on it. And keep us in the loop. It's an important uh, topic, and I think people aren't hearing about it enough. So we will look forward to hearing from you again. I've got to run. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, a lot of interesting things happen nowadays. Uh, we've talked a lot about it with the media changing so much, the fake news being dominant. And, and one of the worries we have about social media and the power of the, the media platforms controlling things. Having said all that... There is a really amazing opportunity in America now, in the world, to connect with people who have shared experiences and issues and to learn what's going on. And so for a long time, listeners of the show and I, we've talked about it in my professional life. I work for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and one of the things that Phyllis Schlafly identified in the last um, 25 to 30 years, more like 40 years, was the growth in the government uh, taking on and damaging the American family. And Phyllis would talk about that. She would say, well, they changed the tax policy to penalize the family. They had some of the laws that changed the family. But one of them was also that there's overlap on this is the power of family courts and the power of child protective services. And our next guest is Michael Volpe. And Michael is a an investigative um, journalist uh, and has written a book. His book is called Bully to Death. Uh, and his website is the provocateur.blogspot.com. Michael, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you for having me. And, and a couple of other laws that break up the family, uh, ESPA, the Adoption and Safe Families Act, what that does is it encourages taking kids from the families, not only placing them in the foster care, but when that pot of money runs out, to adopt them out because you get an adoption bonus. Uh, CAPTA, hmm. the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, uh, and then parts of Social Security Title Four A, B, and D, and E. It gets very complicated, but uh, number one, it encourages taking kids and placing them in foster care because they get a lot of money for that. It also encourages, uh, uh, this is Social Security Title Four D, like child support payments that that someone can't afford that the other person then uses the state to try to get, even though the first person can't afford it. And it basically creates an industry for chasing after parents for child support, and it's often poor parents. And all of this, mm-hmm. there's like perverse effects that uh, the money the money creates all of these federal right. funds. Well, that's a good point, Michael. And, you know, we recently I had a program. I did an Eagle Countdown over a virtual countdown uh, of our Eagle, uh, Eagle Forum um, Educational Legal Defense Fund. And one of the guests was Mark Ludwig. And Mark Ludwig is one of the founders of Americans for Equal Shared Parenting. He said the same thing. There's an incredible number of laws that get passed. They sound good. Okay, get after deadbeat dads. You know, they, they sound good. You know, protect. And then they're abused. We're talking with Michael Volpe. Michael, I want to pull back for a second. And you, you have had your own experience. You have had your own perspective. But you've written now about a lot of other people. Here's what I want to know. Is this an epidemic of the intrusion of the the government or has it always gone on and we didn't know? I mean, in other words, has it gotten worse now or is it because uh, we weren't paying attention before? Judicial tyranny has been going on for thousands of years. Obviously, the Salem mm-hmm. witch trials, the actual ones, are a great example. But you can go back, and Thomas Jefferson in particular, almost immediately was very concerned about this power that the judiciary was taking on. CPS is, is a relatively, relatively like 60, 70 years old, so it's relatively new. So Child Protective Services, uh, I think, really kept, uh, which was 74 was really the beginning of it taking root. And again, when you create financial incentives 
that incentivize people to take kids, that's what's really doing it. It's all the money that, that was flowing in. Uh, so definitely judges have been arrogant and power hungry for many, many, many years. Child Protective Service is a little newer. Mm. Uh, we're talking with Michael Volpe again. His website is uh, the Provocateur, all one word. Blogspot.com. I'll put it up on social media. Uh, Michael, what's the best solution for this? You know, I mean, and I, I want you to tell me some more of the stories and more of the mm-hmm. the uh, you know the recount. Uh, but what is the what's the solution? I mean, on some things, you know, we we have a growing. Right. Co- mm, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got a solution. Number one. Abolish child protective services, just abolish it. Number two, you've got to write this. It probably would need to start on a local level to see how it works, but I envision a federal law that said the the family courts shall not, and you have to write shall, shall is a very important word, shall not make any custody decisions. So what would happen is if you got divorced, split up the money, that's it. You mm-hmm. figure out who gets the kids when, because you're always their parents, so you get CPS out of it, uh, number one, because number one, they're completely unnecessary. If the parent is committing a crime against the child, we already have law enforcement. If it's anything less than that, then you don't need to get involved at all. Uh, As far as the courts, they're not good at making decisions. They're extremely corrupt. So get them out of the parenting decisions. I would look, I'd go even more radical and get rid of child support and alimony because I think they monetize that stuff as well. And that's used all kinds of different ways. But I would reduce the power of judges immensely by getting them Mm -hmm. out of these decisions entirely. That's what I would do. It, all right. So tell me some of the tell me examples that what's the what's the most uh, in your in your research on this? What's the most uh, sort of uh, easiest to describe, not the most complicated, you know, example or, or story here? People remember things in stories, you know, the most corrupt case I've ever done is Sandra Grazzini, Rocky versus David Rocky. If it sounds familiar, you saw a 2020 episode called The Footprints in the Snow, which was a hatchet job. This is. Sam, that's what Sandra goes by, is an abused woman. Her ex-husband, according to a CPS report, stuck a gun to his eight-year-old son's head. According to an audio recording one daughter made, he said she said he choked another daughter. He chased after her daughter until she had to barricade herself in her house. Police reports in three counties, ten different people took out a protective order against him. Yet, the media, the police, and this all happened near Minneapolis, Minnesota, and especially the courts, have all claimed he's the victim. And in fact, now his ex-wife is a six-time felon because his kids ran rather than living with him because he puts guns to people's heads. So that's the most jacked-up case, by far the most corrupt case. And I've tracked the corruption to the U.S. Marshals locally, uh, statewide, you name it. But talking about judicial tyranny, one of the things that the judge, judge did in that case was on September 7, 2012, he ordered... So the mom out of the house gave her three hours to do it and told her she could not tell her kids why she was leaving. And he didn't even give custody mm-hmm. to the dad. He gave custody to his dad's sister, the aunt. And he thought it was a good idea to remove the mom from the house immediately without anybody knowing it and move in the aunt to take care. And it was five kids. So the, not only the immense power, but the immense leverage and leeway that these judges have is unbelievable they can pretty much do anything they want if you if they're determining custody uh and that's the worst case, it, the rocky case and by the way footprints in the snow claim they couldn't find any evidence of abuse 
even though I found a CBS right. report where the father stuck a gun to his head. And that's one of the examples of the media manipulating that case. Uh, we're talking with Michael Volpe again. The website is theprovocateur.blogspot.com. Michael, the people that you talk to that have found the system sort of grinded them up, you know, it took their children and, and, and gave them no way out or no way forward. Are they... Um, are they a, a, a political force? Is there something you, you unites them? I know when I talk to Mark Ludwig, one of the challenges is to get people to understand, you know, work together on this issue, see what's happening. How How is the success of, of, of making not just people aware of this, but changing the laws? Is it, is it going in the right direction? It is, but but there's it's crazy. There's so many factions in family court, uh, and one thing the one thing that unites all of these victims is all ninety nine point nine percent of them have a form of post traumatic stress disorder called legal abuse syndrome. But for instance, Mark, you mentioned, I'm totally against equal or shared parenting. Not that it couldn't work, but as an idea that it should be the the, the default position. I think uh, custody shouldn't be cookie cutter. I think giving some random number is almost as ridiculous as giving a judge power but there are like men's rights factions there are uh, women's rights mm-hmm. factions the feminists there are people that more care about cps there are people who care about child support more and so yeah there's a lot of factions that they're, they're not coming together another problem is they're all destroyed by the courts so none of them have any money so it, like, like how, how do they back a candidate with what with nothing, mm-hmm. they're all destroyed by the system. They, they, they're the other thing is that they're so consumed with their own case, it's hard for them to care about anything besides what's happening with them. So it's difficult. But the first time I heard about this stuff was I say seven years ago, and there was almost nothing going on. And a lot of people have found themselves on on social media. And what I would say is that this is a war. It's a long war. But I think the movement to get this move forward has it's a lot of great strides and look even being on your show like like seven years ago I wouldn't have imagined that anyone with the kind of reach that you have would talk about family court because the way people were talking about it they're like oh my god no one but like these two or three people talk about everybody's afraid of it everybody well you can't say everybody's afraid of it anymore there's a lot of people with a pretty significant reach that are not talking about it so I think it's making progress but you know, it's really similar to politics in terms of the factions. You know, the feminists don't like yeah. the men's rights people. And they're all arguing about silly arguments. They're basically saying both sides, the feminists and the, and the men's rights people, are saying most of the time it happens to us. Yeah, it happens to the other side, but that's not important because that's like 2% of the time. And they're both convinced, the men and the women, that their sex is the one that gets hurt the most. And they'll give you tons and tons of examples. And so in my mind, it right. sounds like both sexes get hurt a lot. What are you arguing about? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, and other things. Yeah. Right. It is uh, well, and I'll tell you, uh, Michael. It's uh, such an important issue. I guess the best the best news about the media getting flatter, even though the fake news is getting stronger, is that more voices are heard and more opportunities are for the truth to get out. So I've got to run, Michael Volpe again. The provocateur dot dot com, a very important issue, and uh, I like what uh, you're writing about and how you're thinking about it. Even uh, even that discussion right there about how one size fits all. I mean, you know, you, you, that's a dangerous thing, right? You you've got to have a wisdom. The question is whether some black robed. Olive 
oligarch is the one uh, that's wise enough and should have that power. So thank you, Michael, for the time. I got to run. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We will be back in a moment. Don't forget, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com to listen to all these interviews. I'll post them afterwards. And Michael Volpe's one is worth listening to again. So I hope you do that. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. In 2016, candidate Donald Trump made clear that he would get us off foreign energy. He recognized the clear national security and economic needs of this. As he saw it, American presidents had been supplicants to the other energy-producing nations for far too long. They were weak. The American people knew that only a strong president could give America the vital energy independence we needed. That's why America voted Trump into office in 2016. Trump promised that he would not rule out any potential energy sources. He spoke of promising advancements in coal and oil and gas, but also in nuclear and solar and wind and even hydroelectric power generation. No option was off the table in his mission to make America energy independent. We couldn't afford to put all of our eggs in one basket, whether that basket be fossil fuels, renewables, or something else. Supporting innovation to make new technologies more reliable was a major focus for him. But he didn't forsake America's vital coal, oil, and natural gas industries either. President Trump followed through on his promise in record time. He rapidly cut regulations so Americans could restart coal and fracking. Within just a few months, America was on its path to energy independence. By the end of 2018, this dream was realized. We didn't need a 50-year plan or a 20-year plan. We just needed an elected official with the boldness to do what had to be done. However, Trump's work on energy is far from over. He and his energy department encourage rapid expansion into new fields, including safe and efficient Generation 4 nuclear power. Reactors of that scale will not be finished until President Trump has left office, but it isn't all about the credit for him. He's investing in America's energy future as well as her present. The best is yet to come. President Trump showed the world how to put American energy first so we didn't have to allow dictators in the Persian Gulf to hold us hostage. America's in charge of its own energy production, and our future is bright. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As President Trump fulfills his campaign promises, his accomplishments on trade, immigration, the economy, and protecting the unborn should be celebrated, not ignored or diminished. To track these victories, go to phyllisschlafly.com and find out what's next for the Trump presidency at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. The Pro-America Report, great to be together as we wrap things up. Don't forget, don't, do not ever forget that the, all these in, uh, interviews that I do uh, are available over on uh, at ProAmericaReport.com. And when you go over there, make sure to check out, uh, or make sure you sign up for the... Um, 
Wink, the Daily Wink. And so, hey, as we're wrapping things up, I didn't say at the beginning of the program, uh, you know, I, I hope people, people had a great uh, Columbus Day, uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, some people celebrate. Of course, I've, I'm reminded, Christopher Columbus, Christopher, Christ bearer, Christopher Columbus really was the first missionary, first evangelizer to the, to the New World, an extraordinary uh, historic figure and a hero. Uh, don't let anybody tear down his statues and tell you any different. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's talk about something here. In two days... Um, Wednesday evening, I will be the host of a very special program for college students. It's college students. It's collegians. It's the it's the annual Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit. We usually do it in person in Washington D.C. We have two and a half days. We have about 150 students. They come into town. We show them how politics works, how government works, get great speakers, have a great time. It's been going on for decades. Phyllis Schlafly was the leader that founded it. This year, we couldn't do it for lots of reasons. It had to do with COVID and then it had to do with people, you know, kids. And it just was a tough thing. There weren't internships on the on the hill that we drew from some of those places. So, But we're doing it virtually on Wednesday. And the two questions that we're asking ourselves to try to talk to with college students is, what can we do with you? What can you do? to the students, say to the students, to get their career going, to make their career go in the ways they want it to, to contribute if they want to be involved in policy, politics, if they want to get their regular job and have an interest on the side, whatever it is, how can how can we help college students get better formed and get better opportunities? The second question is, very importantly, how can we teach about how bad socialism is? I sent out an email to my big list on the wink. You know, the folks that pay attention to my what you can, what you need to know each morning goes out at 5 a.m. Pacific time. And uh, and a man responded, very well-respected man, uh, kind of a philosopher, leader. And he said, I had written in the subject line something like uh, how to cure socialism. He wrote back and said, Can't cu- cannot cure socialism. It kills. And I think I meant to say to him back, well, I mean, get rid of it. If you get rid of it, it can't kill. But the point is... Socialism is being taught to our college students as something that's non-threatening, that's something that's an option. And we have to go back and educate them on what the reality is. And there's an article in the New York Times that ran in the New York Times a few days ago about Venezuela and how Venezuela was a very, very vibrant economy, vibrant place, vibrant, vibrant country, an amazing country. I mean, really a country that had more opportunity and things happening than you could ever imagine. I mean, extraordinary. 40 years ago, it was booming. So we'll talk more about this this week. But if you have a college student in your life that wants to come, please go to phyllisschlafly.com slash collegians and get them signed up for the Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit this Wednesday, October 14th in the evening, a virtual effort. So tune in for that. All right. Thank you, as always, to our great Noah, the technical director here on the program, and also Joanna for booking our guests. We'll talk to you later. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you soon.